Well, welcome back to another Summer of Strength episode, SOS, here on See, Hear, Love. I'm your host, Melinda, and I hope you've been enjoying our series so far, which is focused on strengthening you, strengthening you in all different areas of your life, in your mental health, in your relationships, if you're a solo parent, or if you are in a blended family, if you're going through a divorce, redemption, the church, should I go on? There's so many things that we're talking about in the series. So I hope you join us all the way through our Summer of Strength series. And today, I have a great, great guest with me, Sunite Lichmore. She's a registered psychotherapist and Enneagram practitioner who has provided individuals and families with clinical support since 2010. Um, she is a mama to three children. Her passion is to empower others um, to rewrite our narrative and to break toxic generational cycles. Uh, this is a conversation that I just loved with her where we identified, which I love this, that the problem is the problem. You're not the problem. The problem is the problem. Where we talk a lot about parent wounds and wounding. And how God is mother and father and how relationship with him can change so much that in her own experience, one of the biggest issues that youth had, youth and parents had is miscommunication and that how we can communicate better with our parents and how to stop living with guilt. Oh, so much, so much, so much. So we just need to get right into it. So here is my amazing, thoughtful inspiring conversation with Sunite Lichmore. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of See Your Love Summer of Strength series. And I am thrilled to have Sunite Lichmore with me um, to strengthen you in so many areas of your life. Uh, Sunite is a registered psychotherapist and Enneagram practitioner, which I love. Um, and, oh, three children. Three. We need to talk about that. How are you doing with that? <laughs> And you just love um, encouraging women and men uh, just through and empowering them. I love this. You empower others was birthed from your challenging lived experience and is sustained by your desire to break toxic generational patterns and empower women to step into the fullness of who they were created to be. Beautiful. So I'm excited to hear about you a little bit more, get to know you more tonight and share your story and how you decided to become a psychotherapist an Enneagram coach. I love that kind of like, how did, did you always want that background so that our viewers and listeners can get that? Did you always think you were going to be um, a psychotherapist? But yeah, let's start with a bit of your story, some back to know you a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for having me, Melinda. Um, so my name is tonight. I, um, my parents immigrated to Canada um, and a couple months before I was born, and they came from a small country called Eritrea, which is in East Africa. So they're fleeing, a, you know, a civil war. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in um, a pretty tough neighborhood in Toronto. I, you know, I, we lived in um, subsidized housing for most of my life. And, you know, that really informed and kind of helped shape who I am today. I'm the oldest of six children. 
And so big sister duties Mm -hmm. as well too. And so my life was challenging, but it, it, it kind of caused me to become a fighter. So like, you know, people know me, they know I'm a pretty strong person and this is not a front. It's like really who I am. Mm-hmm. But I think it also helped inform like this like job that I'm in and like this career path. And so it's funny when you ask, like, is this what you always wanted to do? Definitely not. Like I never thought I'd be a therapist. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a journalist, actually, because oh. I, I like mm-hmm. asking questions. Mm-hmm. I like asking challenging questions. Um, really curious and you know I was on all the student clubs and all that and so I thought that was like the natural that's where I was gonna go but what's interesting is that um when I was a teenager I was working with teens like at while I was a teenager I was working with other youth in the neighborhood in the community centers in the health centers and so that's kind of where I fell into like once I graduated from university I continued to work with youth in the nonprofit sector and then over time, I eventually fell into becoming a family therapist. Wow. And even though I was a family therapist, I was still working with youth. So I was working with families who had youth that were kind of like behavioral, quote unquote, or like out of control. And so I would come in, work with these families who lived in similar housing situations that I lived in, in similar, similar um, locations. And so because of my lived experience, because of my um experience and all that, I was able to come in not just as a clinician, but also as someone that can relate to both both the parents and, and the children. And so I so I did that for some time and I and I loved it. I loved being a family therapist and I was like, this is this is my calling. Like when I entered the field, like I knew I was meant to be a therapist and was there was like no doubt about it. Um so that's kind of how I fell into becoming a therapist. Um yeah. That's really neat. You know, I'm always, I love, I love hearing kind of that, the storyline. What would you say? Cause you know, you, you worked with youth and I, I love youth and I'm challenged by youth all the time. <laughs> I actually have two, yeah. you know, we have a 15 year old and almost 18 year old. And so learning a lot from them for sure. They have no problem <laughs> telling us what they think and how things should be done. But from your experience, what would you say like a Gen Xers, like a, that youth are either most concerned about or are really looking for like, a, the generation above them to know about them? Like, what were you finding um, as you talked with youth about their needs, desires, you know? Yeah. So, like, the, the last time I really worked with youth were pro- was probably, like, five years ago. Okay. I probably haven't worked with youth in the last five years, mm-hmm. but... Um, Prior to that, I worked with youth for a long time. And what I found is like, there's a lot of miscommunication. So where youth maybe feel like I'm not loved and I'm not seen, um, the parents feel like you don't appreciate me and you don't see mm-hmm. everything that I'm, I'm giving you. And so there was a lot of like miscommunication. Yeah. And I think for me personally, I was so driven to kind of help bridge that gap because I wanted to be the person I needed when I was a teenager. And so if that meant working with parents as well as youth, I was willing to do that and kind of help with that mistranslation and that miscommunication Mm -hmm. um, and build that trust with the youth and then also bring in my knowledge and experience with the parents. Um, And I found that like working with families was the most sustainable to helping youth with like long-term changes. Because prior to that, when I was only working with youth, I found that it wasn't sustainable 
you know, once they go back to their home, they're back to their same environment, they were back into the the same challenges they had. Mm -hmm. But when you work with the parents, even though the parents didn't cause the issues or were not the source of the issues, they were, they were definitely able to be part of the solution. Wow. That makes sense. And, and I guess that, yeah. Yeah. Cause parents sometimes are like, why are you working with me? I'm fine. I'm, I'm a perfect parent, even though those, <laughs> those don't really exist. Yeah. It's like, even if you didn't cause this issue, you can definitely be part of the solution. That's good. So miscommunication, you would say, was one of the big things, especially with um, obviously with yeah. kids and their parents. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. see that. I can see that. I can see how the lens and the way we interpret things can totally get. We can can, can totally miss it. Right. Like it's yeah. it's almost like you need like a translator sometimes yeah. to understand exactly what they're saying, what I'm saying, because then and then when you don't and when you don't hear it or you don't know what they're saying or you don't get it or you're angry about it, then the emotions, right? Then you're, then you're yelling or you're retreating or you're walking away or you're blaming. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. That's and really it's funny good. Because, it's funny because like when I became a parent, um, my child's almost nine. So when I first became a parent, I was so confident. I was like, you know what? I worked with families for five years. I know all the things like I yeah. am going to be the best parent ever. Um, and then life happened. I became a parent and I was like, I, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> like I thought, I thought I knew it all. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny because my daughter's so different from me. Like she was sensitive. She was very, um, she's very intuitive. She's, she feels free to express herself. Meanwhile, you have me who's like, I'm strong. I'm self-sufficient. Um, you know, I'm able to push past any uncomfortable emotion. How am I now going to parent this, this child who mm -hmm. is, is so open to being, to, to expressing all of it freely and confidently. Yeah. And so how do I negotiate that? And I think, I think that's kind of, kind of what led me on like my own journey of like personal development mm -hmm. is really when I, when I became a parent. Yeah. I came, became yeah. like a bonus parent. How many years now? Six, oh, six years. Chris and I have been married and then we dated for a number of years before. So I met the kids a year after Chris and I started dating. It was really important for Chris to make sure that we were serious before he introduced the kids to me. I think that was really wise because yeah. we started dating. And so I didn't meet the kids for a year until after we were, had dated. And, you know, I never really on, and in, in all honesty, I never really wanted children. It was something, even when I was young, I went back to my parents. I said, did I ever want kids? They're mm -hmm. like, no, like you were out saving the world with a, you know, you were carrying a flag in, you know, in kindergarten and all the kids were following you. And, and, you know, the, the, teacher was like, what are you doing, Melinda? I'm five. I'm like, oh, I'm saving the world. We're, we're figuring out how to save wow. the world as we march the playground. But I never oh, wow. played house dolls, anything like it was not anyway. So, you know, I thought tonight my life was just like no children kind of living my life, doing my thing. And then met Chris and was like, oh, wow. You know, he's bringing kids into this, this picture. And it was, it was, hard at first because you're kind of like oh I have to like open my heart and and figure this out but I would say it's probably one of the biggest learnings for me um mm -hmm. it's not easy it hasn't been perfect but I think for me another level of of love and knowing about myself has come with the kids you know and has yeah. come through the kids and you know that's been an unexpected 
growth and learning for me as a woman. And so, yeah, yeah I would say definitely kids change everything. <laughs> I love when you said knowing myself mm-hmm. because like, I think that was a big thing for me. Like I thought I knew myself and I thought I knew what kind of parent I was going to be, but I forgot about all those like broken pieces that, yeah, that were unexamined that I thought I, I was okay with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I came in like, you know, I'm not going to parent this way and that way. I'm not going to do what my parents did. And these are the things I am going to repeat. But then I'm like, I didn't know all this other stuff existed. And and it really forced me to like know myself. Yeah. And it was just, it, even until this day, like it's just really uncomfortable sometimes. Oh yeah. And there's yeah. more things as I go through seasons and every birthday um, as a woman, as I'm you know, knowing and growing. Um, yeah, it, it is a lifelong. And when people say that, I was always, when I was in my twenties, like <laughs> lifelong journey of knowing yourself. That's too long. You know, like I, I, I'll know myself by 35. Right. Uh, but in every decade and season, it's like this, like, wow, you know, that is still a cyclical thing. That is still a broken part that seems to come up. And I really need to examine that. And a lot of times, you know, there have been times and I still do where, mm-hmm it's uncomfortable to be with yourself, you know, sitting with yourself sometimes isn't great. <laughs> so you distract yeah. and, and you distract and, and do other things. So you're not face to face with yourself. But I think as I've gotten older, I've found more and more comfort um, and, and love for myself in that way that I can sit with myself and, and enjoy me be okay. Yeah. Versus a lot yeah. of times I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> don't want to be with me. And so, you know, <laughs> Which sounds so strange, but it's, but it's true in that. So tonight, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think sometimes I, you know, when I've talked about it with my girlfriend, sometimes they haven't identified it as that, that they're afraid to be with themselves quietly. Cause that means that they have a self-examination. Uh, but as we've talked about it, they're like, I think at the end of the day, I think that is, you know, there are things mm-hmm. that I don't want to address or don't want to bring up. So I just, I run away through things addictions through escapism through all, all kinds of things um, but it always keeps coming back so yeah yeah the past two years tonight through a pandemic through lots of things what would you say that you've learned about yourself and god i, I really love this because i ask everybody this like what did we learn through the pandemic good bad ugly but i think all of us have have some takeaway from these past two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, like when, when the pandemic, before the pandemic started, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I just had my third child and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. I'm going to take some time off work. Like we had the financial means to do that. And so when the pandemic hit, um, it, I, it was actually great. Like the first couple months, like I was mm-hmm. not as tired. My husband was home. He's helping. I don't have to do all these drop-offs. And so I was really enjoying it. And then um, Mother's Day in May, May, 2020, my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was like, whoa, I'm like, that was really challenging. But the gift with the pandemic is like, it forced me to grieve. I had nowhere to go. You know, mm-hmm. I'm this extrovert, busy person. Then all of a sudden I'm like, God's like, no, no, you're going to, you're going to face this. You're going to, you're going to sit here. You have nowhere to go. You're stuck in the house. You're stuck with your four people. Um, and, and you're going to, you're going to meet me. And I, mm-hmm. and I think, I don't even think I fully grasped, to be honest, like how that has impacted my life. But what I know is that 
it was it was it was such a gift because I don't know where I would be if I didn't have the pandemic during that grieving period. I probably would still be in the thick of things mm-hmm. um, versus like being on the other side. Um, so that was in that sense, that was good. And so with the pandemic, I kind of like reevaluated who I am. Like I, I even tell myself like there's like a pre-pandemic tonight and there's like a post-pandemic. Yes. Tonight. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I like, like you. I feel that way too. Yeah, it's like it just gave me this time where it's like I I I never had this much time. I never had this much space. Mm-hmm. Um and so I took it as an opportunity to do to do some personal development. And so that's kind of where the Enneagram came in. So I, I started looking into like, what's my number? That was very hard for me to like recognize. I'm, I'm an eight, so I'm the, the challenger. Mm-hmm. And, and, then I, and, and then I did coaching. I did Enneagram coaching for a whole year um, where every single month I, I worked through some goals. And these were not big goals. These were like mm-hmm. simple things like being more vulnerable, you know, inviting people into my mess, like things that, you know, hopefully we should all be doing, but they were so challenging for me, extremely challenging for me. And so having that space, having that time, having that access, um, it kind of like, it, it brought me back to myself, but it's, it's, that, it's myself, but also this more mature, self-aware person. And so mm-hmm. it's past and post kind of came together and then created this like new new version of me that I'm still kind of getting to know Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I would have gotten that opportunity if it wasn't if it wasn't for the pandemic and like facing loss and facing myself that's really good I'm sorry you hear the loss of your dad yeah that would have been hard especially during that time yeah yeah, it, it definitely was. And I think even as the oldest, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I'm mm. the one that did all the funeral arrangements and did it all. And so if mm. we weren't in the, if we were not in a pandemic, I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity to breathe, yeah. to, to really grieve. But, um, but I did. And it was, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's all the things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when I've been, talking to a number of people through interviews or just over dinner and hangouts, there have been a number of people who acknowledging the pain and the loss and grief of the pandemic, as well as what you've said, good, good things coming from it moments and space to grieve, to think, to ponder, to reevaluate, which really says a lot about us, right? That pre-COVID, we were at such a pace that we couldn't even do these things that seem so basic, like, oh, now I can go for a bike ride. Um, mm-hmm. I can, you know, for me, it was learning how to cook. I hated cooking. And, and for, you know, during COVID, you couldn't go out to restaurants. So it, it sort of forced me to go, okay, what's this cooking thing about? Why is it so fun for so many people? And mm-hmm. then going, oh, it is quite a creative outlet or yeah. me picking up the ukulele and our family playing music and posting it on Facebook for the enjoyment of others and, and to the absolute horror of my kids, you know, uh, <laughs> singing songs, you know, um, but ukulele, like that's something I remember seeing my, you know, my husband's musical and it was on his shelf and I was like, oh, I should do that one day oh. and then never did it for years and then had the space to do it. And then, but then it was more about, 
why am I not choosing to do those things? Why mm. am I so busy with other more important things or or uh, distractions that I'm not doing these things? Um, and so I, I'm hearing that a lot. And I wonder that in the next little while we're going to see books or papers about some of the good things for people that have come out of this that allow people to have family dinners together and not running around to all the things, right? Like to be more creative, to meditate more, to do artwork, to whatever it was, right? And also even just like when we were going through it, so many people stopped by with little gifts for us and food gifts and plants. Yeah. And and those were things that I'm like, I wish, I mean, I, I received them well. I loved it. But why are we not a people always doing that for our neighbors and people dropping off gifts and food and yeah. things that might, you know, like, so I, 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 as you say this, I'm like, there have been some great benefits, some great pauses and moments that I think have helped many of us just take stock of our life and go, okay, wait, prioritize and priorities. Yeah. yeah. You know, and obviously there were definitely a lot of hard moments. Oh yeah. Extremely hard moments. And, um, and I, I just don't think we we even have grasped like the impact the pandemic no. has had on us, right? Yeah, and I agree. I think that it's that where there has been a lot of loss and people felt isolated and mental health. I mean, I I talked with two two men yesterday who you know the pandemic wasn't good for them for the mental health, um, and they're still in recovery about that um and what that did as far as you know their their thinking and things like that and plans and stuff so yeah i think i think that is good for you where you're saying it, it gave you space to grieve mm -hmm. you know and, mm -hmm. and, and to really experience that and and grieve and process yeah it's good it's good uh you know you we talked a lot about how you, um, your passion is to empower others, uh, was birthed from your challenging experience, sustained by a desire to break toxic generational patterns and empower women to step into the fullness of who they were created to be. And I'm always, you know, over the years on See Her Love, we talk a lot about family of origin <laughs> um, as the beginning of where many of us formed our thinking and belief systems, you know, about ourselves, about others, about the world. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Like we use that. We just say family of origin. Yeah. Our family of origin made that happen. Our family of origin, we blame our family of origin, right? On, yeah. on who we are today. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. but I have never actually really talked to anybody like a psychotherapist to really kind of help us process just really what we're saying, that there is truth to that, or maybe we're, maybe we need to like change language around it too. But I know that that's been a big, a big um, conversation piece for the past five years of see here love. Yeah. It's, it's a buzzword right now. Like that mm -hmm. you know, breaking cycles, breaking generational cycles. It's, it's a buzzword. It's what everyone's saying. Um, but I think even before going into it, I think we need to really um, recognize that most of our parents, if not all of them, did the best they could with what they had. You know, mm -hmm. most 
parents, most adults are cycle breakers. Most people are, have decided to do something differently, um, whether it's giving their kids something that they didn't have showing up differently. Um, Mm. and so I think to a certain extent, all of us are cycle breakers, Hmm. you know, like it's, even if we had like a challenging childhood, if we were like to look back at our parents' childhood, it was probably more challenging than ours was. Mm -hmm. And so even, um, recognizing that I think is helpful because I think in some cultures, I know my culture, um, you know, talking, saying something bad about your parents is really dishonoring. You know, in the Christian culture, you know, we we are really taught to honor our parents. And so when we um, say something wasn't given to us or we're going to do something differently or we didn't like how things were done, it could be seen as dishonoring. And many people can experience a lot of guilt. Mm. But mm. what happens sometimes is like that guilt could also prevent us from recognizing the harm that was caused which can also prevent us from healing. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And so like, it's, it's a, it's a big topic, right? These like breaking Mm -hmm. cycles, it's a big topic. And, um, but I think starting there where it's like, they did the best they could with what they have Mm -hmm. to break cycles. You don't have to confront your parents. You don't have to have a sit down and a family discussion you know, mm. healing and changes can happen without confronting your parents who did the best they could with what they had. Wow. Would you say like if if you're if you're self-examining yourself and knowing yourself? Mm-hmm. I guess the question is like how much is on family of origin and parents and how much is it on you choosing just bad behavior, choosing things that are destructive? Do you know what I mean? Like I, I always wonder yeah. Is it a percentage like 50, 50, or that's not the right way to do it? Or, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to like process that. Yeah. Cause it's, I'm just getting, my mind is sort of like spinning a little bit and processing. Yeah. I mean, I like, I don't know. Right. I think mm-hmm. everyone's different. I think it could, it could be, there's different factors that create that form us. And so for sure, like our parents and how, um, you know, our, the culture in our home, how their parent, our parents had relationships with each other, with other people, with us, how they live their lives, but also like genetics, you know, our life experiences, um, systemic issues also impact, impact us and how, mm-hmm. what we see as truth and what we see as, um, yeah, as even in our, our identity. And so there's, there's various factors and I think they impact people differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely the research does show that like parents parents really have the biggest impact you know normally or usually um, in terms of particularly like how we see ourselves and then how we function in relationships with other people. Wow. So if there are some things where you're like, oh my goodness, because you know how many of us have said, oh, I never wanted to be my mother, say what my mother did, and then we find ourselves literally saying the exact yeah. things. Yeah. That your mother said yeah. or did that would drive you crazy when you were younger and you would swear never would I would do that. I will never do that. And then you find yourself doing it, yeah. which I mean, I did the same thing and I now <laughs> do things like of my mom and I'm like, and then it shocks me or like Chris will say, oh yeah, that was so your mom. And some of it's good. And some of it's some of, you know, a bit of the more challenging things, but how, how do you 
break the challenging, maybe bad things in that? Like, how do you, you know, like where you're saying, you know, you're breaking the cycle because it's not yeah. easy. It can't be easy <laughs> no. to say, I'm not going to do all, that anymore. It would all be healed and just, you know, <laughs> right. running in the meadows. just Right. A little sound of music. Yeah. Yep. Doing that thing. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think was challenge. I think it was really challenging. Even talking to my friends and my clients, like we are so bom- bombarded with like what's right and what's wrong, mm. you know. So, you know, we find ourselves like yelling at our kids or criticizing them. It's like, oh, you know, this is wrong because you saw the Instagram memes and you know you read the books and you know these things are wrong. And so we like mm-hmm. like overdiagnose ourselves. And I just find that so many of us are like living this place of guilt. Where it's like, I'm not doing enough. I can't believe I'm doing this because we know what's what's wrong and what we shouldn't do. Right. Um, but I think I think um, I think what happens is like we move too fast from like self-diagnosing to um, to doing something about it. And we hmm. forget about like the compassion and like the validation part. Um, and so I think to break cycles, I think the number the, the most effective way, in my opinion, is through reparenting. And so reparenting is this concept where you are showing up for yourself to be the parent that you needed in that moment. And to take it a step further as Christians is actually like reparenting and allowing God to be that parent that you need in that moment. Mm. And so let's, let's, let's take like a, a small example Let's say, um, you know, you forget your keys to to enter your home. And so, you know, what do you say to yourself in that moment? Do you beat yourself up and be like, I can't believe I forgot my keys again. I'm so stupid. I'm so irresponsible. What's wrong with me? I always do this. Like, you know, I'm immature. Mm -hmm. Or do we do we speak to ourselves as a parent that we need in that moment with compassion and with grace? You know, how would God speak to us mm-hmm. in that seemingly like, you know, minor moment? Would he shame us and criticize us or would he remind us that we could we could get a new copy of our keys and that it happens mm-hmm. um, when people make mistakes and that's OK. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 like in a, in situations that kind of speaking kindness and compassion to ourselves versus the shame and judgment and condemnation that many of us tend to do. Exactly. And many of us might've heard our parents overly criticizing us in certain situations. Um, And, and it might've been from a place of fear. It might've been from a place of trying to instill responsibility in us, trying to help us mature and grow um, and they did it in a way that they were familiar with. And that was, that, that's what they did with themselves. That's what they knew. Um, but sometimes it wasn't helpful, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes it was harmful. Mm-hmm. And so instead of com- repeating that cycle and talking to ourselves in that way and talking to our kids in that way, um, changing it is really, it's really about awareness. You know, like, mm-hmm. what am I, what am I saying to myself right now in this moment? Mm-hmm. Is that what, is that what God, is that what, what God would say to me? Is this how God would speak to me? Mm-hmm. And then, and then chat and then changing that, that inner voice slowly. 
That's good. I'm writing notes. <laughs> I'm writing notes down. That's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's really about, it's like we're missing the compassion part, um, you know, because, and I, and I think why we are is because we're like, we're, we're a fast paced culture, you know, like we want to yeah. do all the things we want to be productive. We're on the go. And so there's no time for compassion. There's no time to slow down and give yourself love because mm-hmm. you forgot your keys. <laughs> you know, like, what am I a child? Like, why am I having to yeah. console myself? because of this small and then we, we beat ourselves up like it's just keys like why do you care you know move yeah. on <laughs> but we need compassion in that moment yeah and if we don't, if we don't slow down we're not going to be able to, we're going to miss that that important piece hi this is becca the associate producer of see here love interrupting this great conversation to let you know that there are more shows and great content and blogs at seeherelove.com and our youtube channel content to help you and give you tools as you care for your mental health relationships being single being married family issues your self-confidence we're here for you to help you find joy and small wins in your everyday as we lean into relationship with Jesus and intentional community. So check us out at seeherelove.com. And if you want to help us keep making this kind of content, you can donate to us at seeherelove.com donate. And really, to keep Melinda and I working and with jobs, donate. And finally, if you found this episode inspiring, please take a moment to share it with someone who would enjoy it and to rate and review our podcast. It really helps. How do you then, like, this is a big loaded question and maybe it's Mm -hmm. just, but if your family of origin was just really horrible, how do you reconcile and make peace and show compassion, kindness to your parents where you feel like they've harmed you or they've hurt you? How do you begin that? Because, you know, I know over the years, you know, a lot of people have written in or friends who are like, I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> but then I see tonight, like them living out still in the pain and unforgiveness, right. Of not acknowledging or forgiving, you know, their parents in that place, right? Like, it, I know it's big, but it's just like, how do you start that? How do you take a moment, give yourself compassion and maybe give your parents compassion as well? Mm-hmm. Cause that's hard for some people, yeah. right? Like it hasn't been a great childhood. Yeah. It's yeah. been pretty lousy, you know? Yeah. It's, I, I don't think it's the same for everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was challenging for me. I did I did have like a challenging, especially my teenagers was very challenging, and um, I didn't know I'd ever get to that point. And I and I allowed mm-hmm. myself that grace that I might not get to that point. Um, uh, and even getting to that point almost felt like a miracle. And I don't think there was, I don't think there was for me like a five or ten step program. Um, I think what what was the most helpful helpful for me is really seeing God as my parent, right? Really seeing God as my mm. mother and my father. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm so grateful to be a believer. And I'm so grateful that we have that access and that, and, and I, like that, that God even calls himself father, you know, like he could have called himself brother, cousin, all the other titles, but he's like, no, like I know that parent wounds are the deepest. He knows mm-hmm. that 
when you have that parent wound, it just, it has the biggest impact than any other wound on our emotional well-being. And God was like, I'm going to be that perfect father because you need me. And, and, and that's like such a precious gift. And I think how that plays out for people is, isn't the same, how they allow God to show up as a parent. Um, but, but I think that that is actually a key piece to, to healing as, as believers mm. is really inviting God and, and allowing him to, to love us unconditionally. Cause we all deserve that. We all deserve yeah. unconditional love. And, you know, unfortunately, like when we grow up in these rough um, or have rough childhoods, we believe that, you know, our love is conditional. The love from our parents is, even if it wasn't, we believe mm-hmm. that. It's like, you know, if you loved me, you wouldn't have done this. And so mm-hmm. then you, you build a story where it's like, you don't love me uncondi- unconditionally. But then being like, whoa, but, but God does. And yeah. God will, God has proven that time and time again. Um, but I don't, I don't think people should be like, you know, I have to forgive or I have to um, have compassion. I have to have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. I do think that's the best thing is, is to forgive and, and to be on that path. But how you get there, when you get there is, is, is a journey. Yeah. And I think having, giving yourself grace is, is key. Yeah. No, that's really good. I think, and, and as you're saying that, you know, I've had conversations where a lot of people felt love, especially the parents, was transactional, right? Like, yeah. I will love you if you do. Mm-hmm. I will support you only if you. Mm-hmm. And so grades, sports, all the things, like being quiet, being the perfect child, not being contentious. So mm-hmm. all of these people, and now we're adults, and we're like, why are we doing this? And then yeah. you go... Because it was always, you know, love will be given if you're this. I will show you love. I will value you if, you know, and, but I think that's beautiful. I think you're right. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's, the journey is different and the timing is different, you know, in that, in that place of, you know, when we address parent wounds, um, that's really good. And I love the God is mother and father. Absolutely all the mother traits and all the father traits all in one, right? So the nurture to the protector, to the discipline, to um, the, the encourager, like all of the things of mother, father is in God in that. And that's, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Seeing us, Mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, like we belong in God's family and I don't have to do anything to earn that. And there's nothing right. I can do to lose mm-hmm. that. It's like, he loves me despite myself. It, yes, it's please. So, so powerful. Yeah. And what a message tonight, like part of, you know, when people are like, why do you follow Jesus? <laughs> um, because that, it, that in and of itself is so beautiful and so healing that, could follow somebody who is that who loves you despite it doesn't throw back on you yeah. it loves you because because you're his he created you you are you know it, it's so beautiful and what a message if we were able even for myself to to speak and show that I think a lot more people would be like oh Jesus yeah I want to follow this Jesus you know I want to yeah. be a part of this family of belonging 
right? Yeah. It's really beautiful. You also talk a lot tonight about this rewriting your narrative. I think we're kind of coming into that as we're talking about this. I love that. I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it's quite empowering. This rewriting our narrative is quite empowering to anybody who thinks that they're stuck in their narrative. Yeah. And can never get out of it. Um, and so let's just, let's just talk a little bit about that because I love this, that we can rewrite our narrative so we can impact us. So there's, so there's impact on us and change on our families, communities, and future generations. So you're speaking my language all about that, about ourselves, about our neighbors, and then the next generation when we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean? What, what does that look like in rewriting our narrative? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, like, um, we all like, like life is built on stories, right? We all tell ourselves stories, stories from our childhood, mm-hmm. stories about why things happen to us, why we are a certain way. Um, like we, we build them up. And so I think, um, before we get to even rewriting our narrative, like we definitely have to be aware of like what our narrative is. And this could be like, you know, we have big themes, you know, like the roles in your life, what are the main narratives, you know, that you're a speaker, that you're a parent, that you're a wife, these are, these are narratives. Um, but then there's smaller narratives that sometimes Mm -hmm. have patterns, you know? So every time, um, you don't get um, a, a job after you, an interview. You know, what's the narrative you tell yourself? That I'm not good enough, that I'm not good at this job, or that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best fit for me, or maybe maybe you're overqualified. Like, what is that narrative? And so mm-hmm. when we take the time to be aware of the stories we tell ourselves, I think that's when we can start walking into, like, the, the rewriting our narrative. And it's also why I love the Enneagram. I feel like the Enneagram almost gives you like a free kind of like insight where you don't have to do as much of the the work and looking for patterns, um, like mm. finding out what your number is. And it's like, wow, like this is a story that I'm telling myself, you know, that I can be vulnerable or I always have to be optimistic or I need to achieve to be loved. And when we mm. when we re- realize these narratives were that that were um, that are playing out, then we can start to challenge them. Like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Who told me this? And, and I think that's that's a really important place to to live in and to to, to be in and spend time in um, before that next step of then replacing it with, you know, a more um, realistic narrative. Hmm. That's good to know. <laughs> I, cool. I you know I think too many of us are locked in. Like, you know, even we even say it like, well, this is my lot in life. Well, I guess this Mm -hmm. is, you know, this is my life. And, you know, when I, it's interesting, like what I've been doing, See Here Love, we've talked a lot about choice. Like you need to choose. Like you can't just pray to God about something and then do nothing, you know, because it does, (laughs) you have to take action or change or choose or love like you can't and i think growing up in the church for me tonight it was like there was a part where it's like well i'll just pray and it will happen like my heart will just change <laughs> my yeah. my heart just turn miraculously you know in the middle of the night and you know I, I, well that theology and understanding is just not good at all but but i think this idea of intentionality and choosing 
is really important. And and with in my own faith of following Jesus, it's like, but you're not doing it alone. Very strong sense of God's spirit present and leading and and it's it's wild when it's like, well those I write something down and those words I don't even know where they came from, but that's exactly what I needed or a person will come to me and say, Mel, I have I prayed for you last night or I have a verse for you. I have something, you know, which have it all been parts of like, even for me changing my narrative, if I had stayed in my narrative, I would have stayed, you know, in my teen years as a prodigal daughter. Uh, I don't know where I'd be now, you know, even growing up as a Christian made really poor choices and like really went away from God for a number of years. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, People who followed Jesus and love him reached out, my parents and key people who said, we still see him in you and we still see uh, the beauty in you and the possibility. So we're not going to give up on you. Yeah. And they they actually also helped to change my the narrative because they believed in me enough when I didn't believe in it for myself. Yeah. Right. There are times where I'm like, I, I see this. I see me in the pig pen with the scraps and I don't know where I, I knew where it would lead tonight and it wasn't pretty. And there were people who believed in helping me change the narrative to where I am today. There's so much. I mean, I, I am thankful. I'm like, you know, my story is totally about the grace of God, but it's also the love of yeah. community and people. And yeah. then me saying, I'm going to choose them to make these different decisions for my life. Um, right. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, people see me now. It's like, oh, Melinda has platform. Look at Melinda, life, fun life, yeah. great life. And it's like, it's it's good. It really is. And I am grateful every day for my life and what God has given me to steward well and to to steward with great humility. And you know, I I do there. I'm in awe about you know where I'm at. But years before, it would not. <laughs> Nobody, I would say, if you if you ask people who knew me in my teen years, they would not have projected this at all. Wow. The way I was headed. So, yeah. and I have to remind myself, it's important for me to remember that and then remember the steps that it took. I'm not sit there. I don't dwell in that and sit in the, there, but mm-hmm. it's good to be reminded that it was people and some, my choice and then God really doing what he does best in, in intervening and finding me and so I love what you're saying because I really get it and I love I love what you said you can't even even answer the question yourself like we rewrite our narrative with other people you know Mm -hmm. your community helped you rewrite your narrative and you know obviously I think therapy is great but I think sometimes or what has happened in our culture which is a very individualistic culture is like we've placed too much emphasis on like personal development and like mm-hmm. one-on-one therapy when you know what's the point of all the therapy and the coaching in the world if you're not going to put it into practice in community you know there's mm-hmm. you're not the knowledge is not going to be is not going to is not going to live inside of you and you won't be able to live out what you learn and so did you really learn anything or was it just like in through in one ear or out the other or do you just sit in guilt knowing that mm. these are things you have to do and you're not doing it but you know in order for us to really put things in action we need to do it in community yeah. and you you've demonstrated that like even even being vulnerable and allowing other people to know what your narrative is is huge right because oh. <laughs> huge, huge 
especially in the Christian circles. I mean, I, there are so many times, right? Like when I was going through my depression, that was a huge part of my life where I'm like, how can I be going through a six to eight month depression when I have the Holy Spirit in me as a Christian? And there's a lot of shame around mm-hmm. that, but I invited people in when I went through my divorce, when my husband left me, uh, that could have been a whole different narrative. And yet there were people who were like, nope, 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 nope. Even though you were unchosen, even though you are, you feel, and you were abandoned and rejected, that is not who you are. That is not how you live. That is not the truth Mm -hmm. of, of who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think you're right. Like, as you say this, it's so good because I think, I, I could have remained in that narrative of the circumstances and what people have said, mm-hmm. but there was, there was, like I said, people speaking that over me, God speaking that over me through scriptures and then me going, okay, I have a choice. I can believe this or continue to believe yeah. the lie of being unchosen. What yeah. am I going to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's huge because what what happens is like when a problem happens to us, you know, let's say we're experiencing depression, we are experiencing something like a divorce, anything big, Mm. we own it as our identity. When I love this saying, it's, it's, um, the problem is the problem. Like you are not the problem. Mm, That's good. So like, here's the problem. And then here's you. When we Mm -hmm. own the problem as our identity, that's when we start to say like, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of being married because look, see, I just got divorced, but it's like, no, no, no. This is something that happened. It's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And yes. so we have to like create space because, and that's not what God calls us. God doesn't, didn't put that, those identities on us either. But mm-hmm. I, I, I really think our bodies do that as a way to protect ourselves. It's like, okay, like it's, what are the problems and how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? You know, how do we defend ourselves? And so it focuses a lot on the problem and, and then it becomes bigger and it has more control and power than it deserves over our life. But when we give it like the appropriate space where it's like, no, you're just something that happened, but you're not who I am. That's how we ward off and like reject these like false narratives that try to like impose themselves on us. Yeah. So good. And, and I love like that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. Not easy. I mean, <laughs> so not easy. And, and even as a follower of Jesus, it was like, you would think I'd be like, okay, you know, go to God and whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, there were so many like battles and things. And then I was like, God, do I trust you? Cause look what happened. But I wouldn't, I'm not blaming you and blaming me, but can't hear you. And yet when I look back now, wow, he was there the whole time. You know, it, it, there were times where I think, you know, I say this, like, God is silent in the way that you may need, right? Like for me, it was like, I wanted immediate answers and immediate results, but actually the greatest lessons were through some of the greatest pain. You know, the greatest mm-hmm. lessons were when I was in great pain and I had come to the end of myself and no nobody was there in the sense of like, they had been there for me, but they couldn't take me all the way. There mm-hmm. was then me having to really be like, it's me. Okay, God, me and you and me and those quiet hard places and I think yeah you know pain grows you I hate it hate it but I am not the same person I'm not the woman I am today um without it you know I mm-hmm. lots of growth through it hard hard but and, and I, I believe I'm we, so like, much better we, for it 
yeah how do we talk about that more in the church because you know we all just believe this like like we have like a miracle working god but yes but is it like miracle working god overnight is it a miracle working god with one prayer sometimes but what about those stories when that's that doesn't happen right and then you see when it doesn't happen then people are like oh yeah god see i'm angry at him he doesn't answer but but then you're actually asking God to be a genie and be at your, your, you know, beck and call and whim. And that's not, that's not the relationship. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, and that's, that's our culture right now, right? We want everything fast. We want instant grat- gratification. We have less patience. We don't know how to wait. Um, and so we treat, we're treating God that way. It's, it's, it's a reflection of, of where we're mm-hmm. at. And so, it's almost like we have to, as a, as a church, like we have to remind ourselves, like we are, like, you know, we're not of this world. And so the patterns and our expectations, like, have to really reflect God and who God is as opposed to what we want and what's comfortable and what's easy and natural. Um, right. Yeah. It's no, that's funny good. Even when I was doing, like, my, my, my Enneagram coaching for the year. I was like, okay, am I better now? Like, like, am, am I fine? Like, why am I still doing this? You know, like I'm a therapist. I should like know all the things and, you know, work on personal development a lot faster. Um, because, but I had to remind myself, it's like, I've, 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 I've really believed this. I've, I've been immersed in this culture of instant gratification so much. I don't know what it feels like to slow down, take my time. Yeah to heal slowly, to get to know myself at a slower pace. And that it's not a race. There's no prize at the end, you know? Mm. That's so good because, you know, we actually were talking about this, my husband and I, we were, we sound so old, but we were telling the kids about the days where we had to line up at record stores to get tickets for a concert. Mm -hmm. Like that's literally like our age where we'd have to go to sunshine records or HMV in the day And we would line up, we'd skip school to get tickets. And there was this anticipation and excitement about waiting and then going to the concert, you know what I mean? And lining up and, you know, that kind of like, and we've, and we were saying how we, how we missed it because now kids can go online, get it or get the song right away or just, you know what I mean? Like there's just, there is a a change in that. And I think it's the same way of, the process and the waiting, um, there's something good and deep about that for our own souls and for us, that it's not overnight, that healing takes a what takes is a process. Grief is a process. Growing is a process. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe more and more at this age and stage of my life, it's because you learn the most in that you can, yeah. you can hear God. He's, he's speaking to you as you're growing, as you're processing, as you're waiting, um, and you're learning new things about him and yourself and, and the world as you do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I know that I, you know, I've seen that like there are times where I'm like, I want things really fast and I get very impatient, you know, and this is a good conversation actually, because it, it's, it's again, a reminder of me to, to wait and hold space for, for the process, for the waiting, for for what God will do, you know, in that. It's good. Yeah. This was timely. It was good for me. I have to be, remind myself that because I am a produce, production, broadcast, content creator. Let's make it go. Let's make it happen. We got to 
put it all out there, right? Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm, it's good. I'm that way too. And I, and I, for me, this conversation, even towards the end, it's it's reminding me of like the value of um, like intergenerational conversations and relationships. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just think we're so like separated, different age groups and cultures and demographics and locations. And so we, we miss out on like so much wisdom, you know, and life experience. And we think, oh, I read the books. Like, I know, like I, I read the memes. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> it's like, you have no idea <laughs> until you spoke to someone that lived it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, we really need more of that, you know, in our, in our communities um, because there's so much more that we can learn if we just like speak to each other. Um, And then even the changing the narrative, I think intergenerationally, I think narratives can change when we have community with those that we're in relationship with, but also that are from different um, generation groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tonight, Litchmore, honestly, this was rich for me. The problem is the problem. You know, I think that that's such a good reminder. I There's, you know, as we talked about parent wounds and, and, and the time, like, it, so rich. Thank you so much. This was really, really a great conversation for me. Um, and, and one that I, I wrote a lot of notes down and when I'm going to process. <laughs> I'm going to spend spend some time and take some space to actually thoughtfully think over what we talked about because again even with me you can do a podcast interview and then just zip ahead for the next thing and I think it's important also in anything that we do to kind of take a moment to go what did I learn God are you speaking through this what's the what's the takeaway I can I can take away from and I think that's important I think that's the other thing I'm trying to learn is in every kind of moment was there a learning? Was there something I missed because I was rushing? Did I not allow God to like speak through me or for me to be an answer to, to prayer of somebody else? Like, I think that's it too. I think when we go and rush through things, we do miss the small miracles. We do miss us possibly being answered to prayer to somebody or somebody being answered to prayer for us. And because we're so busy. And so thank you. Thank you for this reminder. So good. So, so good. It was an honor. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Linda. Thank you. We'll have to have you back. So thank you so much tonight for being with me here on See Her Love. My pleasure. Oh, such a great conversation with tonight. She is such a beautiful woman. And I just loved how she just thoughtfully speaks allows space to process and think and I have a lot of, of processing to do and thinking about this and so I hope you were encouraged by our conversation about breaking toxic general generational cycles how we can rewrite our narrative um just oh so much about you know parent wounds um what we learned through the pandemic and covid um, just loving ourselves and loving others. And even for her own story that she alluded to, and even as I shared very honestly about who I believed I was and what I thought um, and where I thought I was headed 
and how we rewrite our narrative to something different and something beautiful. Um, and I'm so grateful that for tonight, even though she had a tough teen years, uh, where she is at now, um, it's just amazing. So anyway, I hope I hope you were encouraged by our conversation. I hope after listening to this, you'll take some time to to think, uh, to be introspective, um, to have great compassion, like Sunite was saying, compassion for yourself and kindness to yourself. And as you do, as you take the time, as you intentionally take the time uh, to forgive and to love, know that you yourself are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply, greatly, unconditionally loved by God. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you'll join us on our next episode of our SOS Summer of Strength series. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R, 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.